Okay. So, head and neck. Head and neck. Um, this is the first of a series of at least two lectures or three lectures because the, these regions at the level of the head and the neck, there is a lot. A lot in the, in the head and in, even though we, we are not going to go so deep, okay? We are going to just have an idea and uh, the anatomical relationship between these uh, structures and the importance, this uh, structure, to know them, to recognize them, to identify them is for uh, your career, okay? So we are going to go in, in this session today about the, the part of the head that interests mainly, for example, starting by the scalp, okay? The innervation, the vascular supply of the scalp, the bones and seizures of the uh, skull, okay? And in the past, you uh, remember, we separate these two in visceral cranium and, and, uh, and cranium and, you know, but uh, we're gonna go over this, uh, in general, these bones and, and the cranial foci. These are very important, the cranial foci, because uh, we have several contents over there and has a high clinical significance, okay? So we have uh, the meninges, the meninges um, and the location of meninges and the anatomical characteristic of meninges uh, at the level of the cranium. Uh, we mentioned something about the meninges that follow through the foramen magnum into the spinal cord, but we are not gonna touch the spinal cord yet, okay? So, we're gonna go over the, the dural uh, venous sinuses. They are very important. It's important for us to understand that the venous system, the venous drainage of the uh, intracranial structures is, is totally different, the, the, the uh, histological or you can say the anatomical uh, structure of these veins. So as well, we're gonna go over the, these uh, venous sinuses respect to their clinical importance. There are many of them, okay? There are many of them. I want you to focus in these two, okay? The cavernous sinus, and the sigmoid sinus. Why these two? We're gonna see this in a while. Okay, then we're gonna recognize the division of the brain into cerebrum, cerebellum, uh, diencephalum. Um, we're gonna go on the brain stem and mention the cerebellum and their components and function, mainly for the brain stem and diencephalum, okay? We are not gonna go deeply on functions, deeply on functions. Just a structure and how these structure are so close one to the other, how to recognize this structure uh, in anatomy, okay? 
We're going to talk about the ventricular system of the brain, the circulation of cerebrospinal fluid, the clinical importance, what, what, what could happen in people that suffer from any trauma or they have uh, bad circulation of the cerebrospinal fluid, etc. And uh, lately, the blood supply to the brain, this is crucial, okay? The arteries that compose the anterior and posterior circulation blood supply to the brain and uh, identify finally the cranial nerves, the modalities and uh, the targets of these cranial nerves. So, if we talk about the, the scalp, we know that the scalp is covering the surface, is talking about anatomical ana, ana, uh, surface anatomy, okay, is covering the surface of the skull, okay? Okay, it's covering the surface and this um, uh, scalp is made up of uh, five layers essentially, right? Five layers. If we start inside out, inside out, you can see over here, over here, we have <coughs> the periosteum, right? This is a periosteum. Uh, it's outside this diploid bone of the head and before you come to the PA school, you study the bones in general, right? And you classify the bones according to the shape, according to the amount of uh, spongy tissue, or according to uh, the amount of um, um, uh, solid bone tissue, right? So, but now you, you know this. So, what do we have over here? It's a flat bones, all the, the, the cranial bones are flat bones, okay? All of them are considered flat bones. And then we have a diploid. Diploid is what? Diploid is having a two parts of compact bone, like a sandwich, see? Two parts of this compact bone. And then we have the compact bone is over here. Let me see, I can wait. Okay. Okay. You see this line over here? This line, guys? Okay, this is compact bone. And then the other line down here is compact bone as well, right? Okay, it's compact bone, this, these two lines. This one, this one, okay? In the middle, we have spongy or cancellous bone. Spongy or cancellous bone is rich in blood vessel content, right? This is the diploid, it's known as a diploid. And at this in this case, you can observe veins. We have artery as well because Bones are very, very alive a structure. So this diploid is going to have arteries, 
that supply with fresh blood the bone, right? And we have as well veins, right? That get rid of the product of after the metabolism. But in this case, you see how this uh, part over here, you see this? This is known as a emissary vein. Emissary vein is transporting the blood outside, okay? From the arachnoid space, there is communication over here. Arachnoid space into the diploid bone, right? So uh, look at this, how important is that? Right? There is communication among them. Okay? Communication among this, the intra and uh, extra cranial structures. So, um, of course, this is a coronal section, a coronal section. And uh, we were talking about the in, in, inside out, right? Round and round. Okay. This pericranium is also known as a periosteum, right? It's the membrane that covers the bone. And in the inner part of this bone, when the structure is looking into another, you know, internal environment, is known as a endosteum, right? Okay? Endosteum. So, what else are we going to have here? We have the periosteum covering the bone, also known as a pericranium, because you're going to see this a lot. Okay? Then we're going to go a little bit out, and we see a loose connective tissue. You see this one? This is a loose connective tissue. The next step is the aponeurosis. And aponeurosis is what? It's a connective tissue in this point, okay, that protects muscles. But at the, in this case, this uh, aponeurosis, there is a part of this aponeurosis that turns into a galea aponeurotica. We don't have any muscle behind, I mean, under this galea aponeurotica. Okay, but this galea aponeurotica communicates or keep these two muscles, you know, together in their function. That is the frontalis muscle belly with the occipitalis muscle, having projections as well on the movement of the periauricular muscle. If you do this, you can move, right? Together with the galea aponeurotica, you can move the frontalis and the occipitalis muscle at the same time and even move the ears. Okay, some people, they have a lot of control. It depends what you do with your muscles. Some other they have a lot of control with the hips and the buttocks, you know? So uh, afterward, after this loose connective tissue, we have the aponeurosis, galea aponeurotica, remember, 
connecting the frontalis with the occipitalis muscles. Okay? Galea poneurotica. And then we have another layer of connective tissue and finally the skin. In the skin, we're going to have what? Everything that we know. Okay? We're going to have uh, pilocybaceous glands. Pilocybaceous glands. And we're going to find as well sweat glands. So, uh, and abundant in here, abundant in here. And some people, some other, you know, okay? But it's a mnemonic here for you to remember the, just the, the layers of the scalp. Remember that emissary veins are gonna connect, are gonna connect the, the veins of the scalp the blood, the venous blood of the scalp with the dural venous sinuses. So, Professor, that means if we have an infection, yes. If we have too much blood, yes. We, we can have certain problem, okay? So, what else we have? The diploid vein, the diploid vein, they are, they are going to be fine in where? In the diploid bone, okay? The diploid means, okay, two layers of contact, compact bone and in the middle we have cancellous bone, okay? It's a sandwich of bone. Beautiful. Uh, we, can, we can talk a little bit more. If we go inside, we can appreciate the periosteal or endosteal layer of dura mater, uh, we're gonna see over here a little bit the meningeal layer of dura mater, a sinus because it's characteristic, the venous, the venous sinuses, they are protected by the dura mater all the way. In the base of the cranium, in the cranial fossa, this dura mater turn thicker, protecting very well the sinus, okay? The sinus, the venous sinuses are um, the one transporting the blood away. Is the origin of the upper part of the, the body veins, okay? And for that, we need to remember your anatomy. Veins are blood vessels that transport the blood away. Are you sure? Okay, the blood to, towards the heart and arteries are blood vessels that transport the blood to the rest of the body. So in the head, the same thing, okay? The venous, the, sorry, the sinus venosus or venous sinuses, they are the beginning of the formation of the vein of the uh, head, okay? And then they're gonna transport the blood away from the head 
into the jugular veins, okay? Into the jugular veins. The jugular veins, these internal jugular veins, they have their origin, by the way, in the um, venous sinus, in the sigmoidal venous sinus. This is the way out of the jugular vein. And of course, the jugular vein is gonna transport the blood into anatomy 101 or 102, I don't know. Into the subclavian vein and from there into the superior vena cava. Superior vena cava. And this is very important for us to understand, okay? Very important for us to understand. With the arteries, it's at the other way. Guys, it's at the other way, okay? From the aorta out, right? Aorta, so clavian artery, to the arms, and then we're gonna go into the common carotid artery, common carotid artery, external, internal, internal to the eye and to the brain, yes. Yes, the venous sinuses, totally, yes. Because the, remember the dura mater is gonna be stick on the, the, the periosteal layer of the dura mater is gonna be closely adhered to the periosteum of the bony structure of the school. Okay, so uh, here we have more. Remember the skin, the connective tissue, it's, it's a dense connective tissue. Aponeurosis of the galea, galea aponeurotica. And then we're gonna continue on the loose connective tissue and the uh, periosteum or pericranium, pericranium, okay? This is more of the same. Here we have a frontalis belly, occipitalis, the epicranial aponeurosis, epi, epi, okay, the top of, okay, and a little bit of information about the meninges that we're gonna go over, okay? So um, we have as well, uh, I'm gonna go, we, we have other lectures, but just for you to know, the Galea aponeurotica is gonna be uh, as well innervated, okay? The greater occipital nerve is gonna innervate the occipital area of the scalp, okay? The lesser occipital nerve is gonna innervate around the temporal area together with the auricular temporal um, nerve. That is the third division of the cranial nerve number five or trigeminal nerve, okay. And we have the zygomatical temporal nerve that is another branch of the cranial nerve number five and is the branch number two, the second division that is the maxillar division, okay? The number one is the ophthalmic, the second division is the maxillar, and the third division is the mandibular branch of the cranial nerve number 
one. As well, at the point of, at the, point of the gabella, we have the supraorbital nerve. That is a branch of the cranial nerve number five. I want you to think about this. Think about the importance to know the areas cranial nerve number five is innervating. Okay? And this is part of the gallia, uh, the scalp, sorry. It's part of the scalp over here. Then, uh, talking about blood supply, blood supply to the scalp. Uh, at the top of the calvarium, we're gonna see how the arteries anastomose. I want you to pay attention to this word, anastomose. This is get together. Anastomosis is just get together, be uh, confluent one with the other. Those are physiological and anatomical anastomosis. But you can perform a surgical anastomosis. For example, if you take a blood vessel, if you take an artery and you cut it in the middle and you want to suture this back together, you're gonna do an anastomosis, terminal, terminal, because you are putting these two together. Understand what I'm saying? It's just to refresh yourself in, in uh, medical terminology. Then, in the case of uh, fistula, the one that we don't want to measure the blood pressure, okay? Those are a surgical anastomosis between a vein and an artery. And that's why the name is fistula. Because these two structures, they have nothing to do with each other. Make sense? No, from the point of view of, of anatomy, okay, or histology, they are totally different. One is a vein, the other is an artery, but is the point, when you put them together, we have venous blood and arterial blood, Get, get it together, and it's a good point for dialysis. That's why it's what you do when you want to clean the person that is having a kidney uh, failure. Okay, so we have uh, all of these. Uh, this is a common carotid artery. And let me tell you, the blood supply of the structures in the face and the scalp are not only for supply by the external carotid artery, but there is a tiny, some branches for the external fissures of the face and the scalp as well, okay? Anyways, uh, this is uh, a blood supply for the gallia, a ponyrotica and for the rest of the scalp and as you see, um, I, I start from placing clinical, you know, importance, but this is a, there is a clinical importance here. For example, uh, every time you have uh, a trauma on the head and you're bleeding, 
there is a tissue that's not going to be recovered, that is the epicranium. It's like a disappear after you have this kind of trauma. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rich, rich blood supply. Every, you know, cut on the scalp can bleed profusely, okay? Can bleed profusely. So we need to repair the area, we need to uh, do the hemostasis of the blood vessels. Hemostasis of the blood vessels. We need to cut them out from bleeding. So the word for that is hemostasis. Okay? Hemostasis. We talked about this already. Um, the bones of the school. Okay. There is a bone here that I want you to pay special attention. And this bone is the temporal bone, right? Is the temporal bone. The temporal bone is having an squamous part, is having a petrose part, is having a mastoid part, is having a tympanic part. Okay? A petrous part of the temporal bone is the thickest bone of the body. Is where we're gonna find a lot, a lot of cancellous type of bone. And we have what? The ear over there, right? We have the ear, okay? The petrous portion of the temporal bone. We have the squamous portion of the temporal bone. Here we go. The squamous portion of the temporal bone. And don't forget that at the end of the temporal bone, we're going to have, making part of the face, the zygomatic bone, the zygomatic bone, and we're going to have, as well, an anatomic accident that is um, a meatus, the external acoustic meatus, okay? And we have a mastoid process, a mastoid process, and the styloid process. Look at the styloid process over here. Then. The temporal bone is kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting, very interesting. If you see this line, this line is use, useful for your imaging studies because this line is separated or you're gonna use this as an axis in order to perform an imaging of the lateral aspect of the Joe. Okay? So the mandible and so, and the sinuses, and it's a very important point for dentists. Okay? A very important axis for dentists. So um, this is uh, separating the, the external auditory meatus from the rest, and it's at the same level at the same level 
or behind the external occipital protuberance and the bones of the nose, the bones of the nose at the level of the maxilla and this one uh, that people call the, the cheekbone, cheekbone is known as a what? Zygomatic bone. This is the zygomatic process that is taking the name, temporal zygomatic, that is taking the name of the temporal bone, but bind with the zygomatic bone, okay? So, um, beautiful. What else we have here? Uh, okay, let's talk about the rest of the bone. We have the frontal bones, we have the parietal bone, okay? The temporal, don't forget the temporal, okay? We're gonna, this, this point over here, the terion is very, very crucial for your x-rays, your imaging lectures, and as well for trauma at the level of the cranium. It's a point of confluence uh, of uh, these uh, bones and uh, that are the sphenoid, okay? The frontal bone, the parietal bone, and part of the temporal bone. And of course, you see how many sutures we have together? It's a weakest point for the area, okay? Weakest point. Talking about the other bones, this is the occipital bone, and the sutures we know that are what type of joint? Fibrous joint, they don't move, right? They are syndesmosis, they, they don't move at all, okay? When they are, they grow together, they fuse together, they're not gonna move. It's not the case of the little one, okay? That they have their uh, on fontanelles and the suture are not sealed yet. So, this one is the, uh, uh, remember, the Edmoy bone is, is in yellow, it's a tiny little one. The Edmoy bones, uh, we're gonna go a little bit um, later when we study the nose, we're gonna go um, very well. But it's a general approach of this, okay? So we're gonna have uh, the maxillar bone, maxillary bone or maxilla, maxilla bone, and we have the mandible. Mandible with the head, the ramus, the angle, and the body of the, the, the mandible. Um, the sutures, we have another slide for suture, and this is the anterior view. Anterior for anterior view, we have more of the uh, bones of the face. Let's go on the orbit. The orbit specifically, we're gonna have it when we study the eye, because you're gonna forget that. So let's go a little bit uh, um, surrounding this, because it's a general approach. This is the part of the, this is frontal bone, then is the supraorbital margin is made up of the frontal bone. Then we have the frontal bone fusing at the, at the anteriorly with the nose bone, and this area is known as a nation, okay? 
What else we have? The zygo, uh, zygomatic uh, bone is part of the lateral part of the orbit, the bony orbit of the eye. We have the maxilla making the medial and part of the uh, base of the bony orbit of the eye. Uh, we have uh, as well the sphenoid, okay, the sphenoid bone as a part of the orbit of the eye. And you see all of these fissures and holes that you can appreciate. Those fissures, those fissures are from where structures are going to leave the cranium, the intracranial structure, or are the fissures for where the structures are going to leave the face and enter into the intracranial structure. Okay? Those are known as fissures. Some other are foramen. A foramen is a hole. This is singular. A hole from where we're going to have the arising or the transmission of cranial nerves, arteries, veins. Make sense? Okay, foramen. When we have a, a lot of them, we use the word foramina. That is plural. Okay, that is plural. For example, this orbital fissure, we're going to have the transmission of the optic nerve from the eye into the brain. Okay? Not at the opposite. Not at the opposite. Okay? Why not at the opposite? Who tell me? Okay. The orbital fissure is going to permit the transmission of the optic nerve. But this optic nerve, the way or the direction of the optic nerve is from the eye into the intracranial structure. Why is that? Sorry? It's afferent. Very good. It's a sensory. It's on a special sense. Okay? So, this is another feature that we need to have in mind. Okay? What else we have? The proper bones, uh, the, the proper bones of the, the nose and the, the bony structure, like the conchi or concha. Okay? This is a perpendicular plate of the Edmoid's bone. Edmoid's bone. And this is the vomer. These two bones make, they, like, they go together to make the bony septum of the nose. The bony septum of the nose. Or the nasal septum. Okay? And we have all of these uh, maxillar, the, the maxillar region with the alveolar process. Okay? In where we're going to find the our, our teeth, right? By gonfosis. This is known, this is the name of this type of joint. Gonfosis. The way the root of the teeth articulate with the alveoli of the maxilla, maxillar bone 
or the mandibular bone. Okay? This is the inferior view of the school. The inferior view of the school. And we remove at this point what? The mandible. Beautiful. So we're going to go and see the maxillar bone in purple. See? We have the zygomatic bone over here with the zygomatic arch going together with the temporal bone over here. Okay? The zygomatic process of the temporal bone. If we continue, we can see the hard palate. The hard palate. Okay? The hard palate. This is the palatine process that is composed by the palatine process of the maxillar bone and the horizontal plate of palatine bone. Horizontal plate of palatine bone. Then, these are the posterior opening from the nose, and they are known as a coana. Okay? No moana, coana. Okay? And then, uh, as you see, we continue over here. We don't see yet because we have all of this and we need to remove and see the, the cranial vault at the point in which we can determine the cranial fossa to describe the Christi, uh, the, the Christi galley and the cribiform plate or lamina uh, cribiforme. Okay? What else we have that is interesting? Okay, interesting. External occipital crest, external occipital protuberance. We have a nuchal ligament, nuchal ligament. And the origin of what muscle that you need to check in your trapezius, right? And the origin of trapezius, okay? We have the jugular foramen, jugular foramen, and in this case, because anatomy is direction, anatomy is understand what I'm doing, right? If I tell you that the jugular foramen permit the pass of the jugular vein, is this jugular vein leaving or going in? It's leaving because it's formed by the junction of the sinus, the sigmoidal sinus at the base of the cranium. Okay. Beautiful. Oh, here we have the foramen ovale. It's not the one of the heart. The problem is, is the, the, the shape of the foramen, the shape of the hole that is like an ovum, okay, that's why. The styloid process you can distinct here. Okay, the mastoid process over here, the external, external acoustic meatus. It is very important for us to understand the anatomical relationship 
of the ear and the mastoid process. Why is that? Because inside the mastoid process, we have what? The ear. So if we have any infection in the middle ear, or if we get infected in the inner ear, that is not very common, we can develop what? A mastoiditis. Huh? Mastoiditis. Mastoiditis can, mastoiditis can be developed as well by having an external ear canal infection. A mastoid's brain, uh, meningitis, very close, right? Or maybe an infectious thrombosis uh, at the level of the cavernous sinus that is around there as well. Okay? So, what are, what are the seizures? The seizures, let's start by the first one that joins the frontal together with the parietal bones. This one is known as a coronal seizure. Coronal seizure. Okay? The junction where the two parietal bones together, go together with the frontal bone, bones are known, is known as a bregma. This one over here. And this was the point of what when we were little, little, little? The anterior fontanelle. Anterior fontanelle. Okay? Is the, the first that close? The last. Okay? Is the last in line to close? Just saying. Okay. So, the suture that keep together the parietal bones is known as a sagittal suture. And if you know the direction, it's going to very, be very easy to remember. The coronal one, the sagittal one. Okay? Coronal between the frontal bone and parietal bones. Okay? And this... Uh, Sagittal suture is the one that keep together the two parietal bones, okay? If we go to the posterior part of the calvarium, we're going to see the lambdoid suture. Lambdoid suture between the parietal bones and the occipital bone. And in the middle, we have another point, the lambda. Over here, the lambda, okay? This is, um, we have the squamous. Let me show you the squamous suture over here. This is known as a squamous suture. The squamous suture that is going to keep together the temporal bone with the parietal bone. The parietal bone. The terium is the point in which we have the fr frontal bone together with the sphenoid, the greater wing of the sphenoid bone, together with part of the temporal bone, the squamous portion of temporal bone, and parietal bone together. This is the terium, okay? The terium. And this is known as a squamous squamous seizure, squamous seizure. Bless you. Okay.
good. There's no much I can tell you about this. There is more you should describe, but let's go with this, okay? Okay, so the base of the cranium, guys, this is so important, so important. We need to know that is the base of the school. It's at this level, look at this. At this level, we have the base of the school. All of these structure are in the base of the school. The cranial foci, cranial foci, plural, because we have three. The anterior, the middle cranial fossa, and the posterior cranial fossa. What do they house? They house the brain, part of the brain, different structures. Uh, from these uh, cranial fossa, we have several foramina from where we, we're going to have the transmission of the cranial nerves, arteries, and veins. Make sense? This is structure. And of course, uh, think about the magnum, foramen magnum, from where we're going to have the arising of the spinal cord. After what the structure of the brainstem? The spinal cord continue. The medulla oblongata. Very good. Thank you. So, you see over here we have the cribiform plate. Let me, let me see if we can, <coughs> oh, okay, okay, over here, this is the cribiform plate, we have a lot of little holes over there, this is the anterior cranial fossa, the anterior cranial fossa. Part of this anterior cranial fossa are the frontal bone, okay, Edmoid's bone, and the part of the sphenoid bone. So, the cribiform plate over here has a lot of little holes, abundant in foramina, because this is the way in from where the actions from the cranial nerve number one are going to be formed and made the cranial nerve number one. They are the actions of the olfactory receptors placed at the superior part of the, the olfactory epithelium at the roof of the nose, of the nasal mucosa. All of these actions are gonna pass the cribiform plate to make the olfactory nerve, cranial nerve number one, okay? They're gonna pass by the cribiform plate and go together and make two of them. Understand what I'm saying? So, and then I'm going to be tied in the inferior aspect of the frontal lobe. And you know, basically, we're going to do the interpretation of the olfation using the temporal lobes of the brain. Okay? So, uh, is remember, formed by the frontal edmoid 
and sphenoid bone. And we're going to have the attachment, the anterior attachment of the dura mater at the point of the frontal crest or Christi, Christa Galli, this one. You see this? This one. Okay. Antentorium cerebelli is going to be attached at the clinoid process of the sphenoid. Okay. This is the clinoid process of the sphenoid. What tentorium cerebelli is, is part of the dura mater. We're going to go there. Okay? Tentum cerebelli, or tentorium cerebelli. It's like a tent made up of one pole. That's why the name. Okay? Beautiful. This was the anterior um, cranial fossa. Okay? Uh, the middle cranial fossa, interesting. Oh, here we have, you can appreciate much better the um, all of these uh, foramina. You see the foramina? This is a real specimen. And all of these are the imprinting from the gyri and sulci of the brain, of the frontal lobe. Okay, you can, you can visualize much better the true of the diploid bone over here. Can you see it? Okay, we have uh, compact, compact, and in the, in the middle we have the cancellous or spongy bone. This is the crista galli or cresta de gallo, same thing. Okay, sounds like... Okay, so... Um, We have over here the cribiform plate. Remember, these are the optic canal. Optic canal, anterior cranial fossa transmit the optic nerve, right? Permit the transmission of the optic nerve through the optic canal. We have a canal. Canal in anatomy is, is like uh, a tunnel, a tiny tunnel from uh, that the structures are passing through. This is a canal, okay? And the rest of the foramina. The middle cranial fossa, over here we have the sphenoid bone, the sphenoid bone. In the middle of the sphenoid bone, we have a structure that is known as a cella turcica. Cella turcica is gonna be as well, all of this bone is gonna be covered by the periosteal layer of the dura mater, protecting all of this structure very well. And in the sula, uh, sorry, sorry, cella turcica, or uh, Turkish share, we're going to have the pituitary gland, also known as a hypothesis. And the same dura mater is going to make like um, it's gonna cover, you can say, the pituitary gland superiorly with another sheath of dura mater. Okay, it's protecting over there the uh, hypothesis. And if you go a little bit awkwardly, 
we're going to have openly located to this shift of the matter, we're going to have the optic chiasma. And it's very important for us to understand this anatomical relation because every time a person is suffering from an enlargement of the hypothesis, what is going to happen? This person is going to complain uh, from what? Visual disturbances. Visual disturbances, okay? Is because the anatomical relation. This is the jugular foramen over here. The hypoglossal canal. What is the hypoglossal canal name? What is this name? Hypoglossal canal. Why? Because transmit what? The hypoglossal, <laughs> very good, hypoglossal nerve. Okay, and the foramen magnum in the posterior. Uh, the middle cranial fossa has a lot of accidents. Yes, uh, you, you were asking me something, sorry, that you raise your arm and... Oh, guys, yes, 10 minutes. Please, yes. Thank you. Yes, the exam is uh, conjoining, okay? It's together. Gonna be together in this exam. I will drop some important hot topics for you for this exam. I will drop this in the, hey, no the questions, just hot points. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Okay, let's go back to the middle cranial fossa because it's very important. Okay, remember, what do we have over there? We have, um, you know, we have a, an anatomical fissure that is known as a clivus. I'm going to show you uh, now uh, in a while. So, what are the bones that form the middle cranial fossa? The greater wing of sphenoid, right? The body of the sphenoid, the squamous part of the temporal bone, and part of the petrous portion of the temporal bone. Part of the petrous portion, portion of the temporal bone. Okay? Uh, less, less, uh, because I, I don't want you guys. You know what petros mean? Means what is the meaning of petros? Huh? Like a rock. Beautiful. Okay. And has a, a history. It's a long history for this word. Okay. So uh, from fr from the Latin language. Anyways, cella torsica housing the pituitary gland, right? Are we good? And this is located superior to the sphenoid sinus and surrounded by a very important sinus. The optic canal for the, the optic canal is the one that transmits the cranial nerve number two. 
okay? And together with the cranial nerve number two, the ophthalmic artery that arise from the internal carotid artery in the future. Superior orbital fissure. This fissure is gonna transmit the oculomotor, cranial nerve number three, okay? The trochlea, that is the four, and the ophthalmic division of the cranial nerve number five, the V1 of the uh, trigeminal nerve, okay? So, passing by the superior orb orbital fissure, we have the three, we have the four, we have the uh, V1 of the trigeminal nerve, and we have the six as well. The three cranial nerves that innervate the extraocular muscle, okay? The extraocular muscle. Cranial nerve number three, oculomotor, number four, trochlear, number six, abducens, and together with these, we're gonna have the, the ophthalmic division of the cranial nerve number five or trigeminal, okay? And of course, uh, the superior ophthalmic veins. What do we have in this middle cranial fossa? A lot of things. Very important to know that the carotid canal or the carotid canal is gonna permit the pass of the internal carotid artery from the neck into the cranium to form the anterior circulation of the brain, anterior blood supply of the brain. Then we're gonna have the sympathetic nerves that goes with the internal carotid artery and they're going to provide this uh, innervation, sympathetic innervation to the superior tarsal muscle is the one that is gonna permit the dilation of the pupil. Remember, we talk about constriction dilation. Dilation of the pupil. pupil. Now we know, sympathetic dilation, okay? Any lesion at this point, how is gonna happen or what is gonna happen to the pupil? It's gonna remain dilated or goes constrict? I mean, you don't need to know diseases, anything like this. That is why anatomy is about. What is gonna happen to this pupil? If we have, let's say, um, a very specific lesion at the uh, sympathetic plexus of the right, let's say, what, what do you think is gonna happen to this pupil? What the sympathetic, in, in, the sympathetic innervation is providing the pupil with? Dilation. If we have an alteration over there that cut it out, the sympathetic innervation to the pupil, how you expect to find this pupil? Constricted. Guys, it's, it's like this. It's not mm, too much science behind that, okay? 
You understand what I'm saying? Because now sympathetic is blocked. And who's going to be the, the king? Parasympathetic. Make sense? Okay. So, are you sure? Do you want to study as a PA? Okay. Anyways, PAs. P, uh, physician associates. Beautiful. Sweat glands of the face and the scalp. Okay? And the blood vessels in the head. The sympathetic plexus at this point is going to go and innervate all this part. Okay? Dilator, pupil muscle, the sweat glands of the face and the scalp, and the blood vessels in the head. Just by the fact that they are passing through the carotid canal, then you have a lot of information. Foramen rotundum, what is important, this is located at the medial end, okay, at the end of the superior part of the orbital fissure. It's a tiny little um, hole we have over there. So permit the transmission of what? That cranial nerve number five, division second. Second division that innervates what part? Guys? The, the what? Maxillary, okay? Second division, division of the trigeminal nerve, okay? And uh, we have the ovale. Okay, the ovale is very close to the rotundum. And uh, we have the transmission of the other branch of trigeminal nerve that goes and innervates the mandible, mandibular branch. Mandibular nerve is around there, okay? Foramen spinosus, maxillary artery, and that goes from the infratemporal fossa inside the cranial vault. And foramen lacerum, um, I don't want you to go there. Okay. So posterior fossa. Okay, posterior fossa. Remember the middle fossa? It's going to have what? what? What part of the brain we have over there? Temporal lobes, right? Huh? Um, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Then we're going to have now the posterior cranial fossa. Made up of sphenoid part of clivus, the the tiny little part of phenoid that connects to the clivus, I'm gonna show you now. The posterior part of the petrose bone of the temporal, petrose portion of the temporal bone and occipital bone. What do we have over there? We have the acoustic meatus. Acoustic meatus permit the pass of the cranial nerve number seven, the facial, the one that you need to check the motor function of the facial doing what? 
Rise your eyebrows, pop your cheeks, show me your teeth, smile, frown. Okay? This is the facial nerve. And the cranial nerve number eight, the vestibulocochlear nerve. Vestibulocochlear nerve. And of course, we're going to have the labyrinthine artery. Labyrinthine artery. Jugular foramen, glossopharyngeal, vagus. And we're going to have as well the pass of the accessory nerve, number 11, and the internal jugular vein. Okay, so the hypoglossal, hypoglossal nerve. Hypoglossal is number 12. Hypoglossal nerve innervates the tongue, right? Permit the tongue to move using the extrinsic muscles to the side, up and down, to the side, this, the right and left, and so Foramen magnum, let's go and have uh, a, spi um, a spinal cord after the uh, medulla. And the mastoid foramen, occipital artery to the dura, and the mastoid emissary vein. So this is the clivus over here, see? Let's talk about the posterior fossa. This is the internal acoustic meatus, the jugular foramen, okay? The hypoglossal canal, the foramen magnum over here. This is the posterior part of the sphenoid bone that connects to the clivus. So we have the uh, inferior part of the petrous bone or petrous portion of the um, temporal bone and the occipital bone, all of this, occipital bone. Are we good with this? I know it's a lot of information, guys, but we need more information, believe me. Okay? Fissure uh, uh, or clinical fissures that are very good for us to know. The fractures of the base of the cranium. They are very, very interesting. For example, if we have a damage of the carotid artery, just a turn of the carotid artery, we're going to have an arterial venous fistula within the cavernous sinus that is surrounding the pituitary gland, right? And what else we have? We have the optic chiasma, right? Superiorly located to the um, pituitary gland. So we're gonna have a lot of blood over there. Uh, the, you're, gonna, you're gonna like um, compress the veins. We have a, a retro flow of the blood at this point then uh, you see how the, eyeball, the, the eyes are going to be protrude and they are pulsated. Uh, they, they can pulse. Okay? This is known as a pulsating exophthalmia. It's an emergency. Normally, people, they don't make it. Okay? So... At this point, we have compression of what? Of the third, the fourth, and the division of the trigeminal, V1 and V2, 
and V6 as well. Because all of these, they lie very close or on the wall of the cavernous sinus. Okay? What else? A blow of the head that can break or can produce a fracture at the level of the properly the, the base of the cranium. This is different because the dura is very hard over there, it's very thick over there. But anyways, can break it, can break it. And we can see how the patient is losing cerebrospinal fluid depending at the level of the fracture. For example, remember the lamina cribosa or cribiform plate? Can you imagine a fracture of the cranial base happens anteriorly, the anterior cranial fossa? From where you, you're gonna see the leakage of cerebrospinal fluid? Cribiform plate, part of that moid bone. And I'm telling you that if we have a, a, you know, a fracture of the base of the cranium at the level of the anterior fossa, at the level of the cribiform plate, how do you think or from where you will see the cerebrospinal fluid leakage? From the nose. Oh, yeah, it's working. At the level of the uh, petrous portion, a little bit that takes the part of the ear where the, the dura mater is located and all of this, what do you think is going to happen? We're going to have what? Cerebrospinal fluid leaving the ear. What is the word to classify or to uh, categorize when you have a secretion through the nose or the ear is otorrhea okay or rhinorrhea okay otorrhea of cerebrospinal fluid or rhinorrhea of the cerebrospinal fluid okay so meninges, everybody knows what meninges are, right? Who tell me about meninges, guys? There are three, right? Dura mater is also known as a pachy meninges, pachy meninges. Uh, if you know one name, it's okay, okay? So protect, it's a protection of the central nervous system. Remember, central nervous system is composed by the brain and the spinal cord. Okay, don't forget that part. So these membranes continue. Dura mater is differently distributed at the level of the vertebral column or the spinal cord among the bones over there, but continue the same, okay? Then dura mater is the outermost layer of the meninges. Dura mater is rough, 
is, um, you know, separates dura mater makes uh, compartments uh, in, inside the cranial vault, makes compartments inside the cranial vault. We're gonna go, okay? And of course, accommodate the dural venous sinuses. In between, dura mater is having two layers. The, the layer that is attached to the periosteum is the periosteal or endosteal layer. And the other layer that is attached to the arachnoids, arachnoid, sorry, and is known as a meningeal layer. Between the, the, the dura mater, I mean, under the dura mater, we're going to have a space, okay? Between the meningeal layer of dura mater and the arachnoids, we have a subdural space. Subdural space. Between the endosteal layer of dura mater and the epicranium or periosteum of the bone, we're going to have another space, and this is known as an epidural space. And this is very important for us to know. Epidural space is more related to arteries, as subdural space is more related to veins. If you learn this in this way, you're not going to get confused never ever of what an epidural hematoma is, or bleeding or hemorrhage, or a subdural hematoma is. Okay, because one comes from arteries, the other comes from veins, the bridge veins of the uh, meninges. So this is a good note. After this meningeal layer, after the subdural space, we're gonna have the arachnoid matter. The arachnoid matter is thinner, is full of blood vessels, is, is, um, um, is having uh, the arachnoids granulation, has a lot of veins over there, we have blood vessels over there, and we're gonna, the, the subarachnoid space is the one that is I mean, it's, it's located between the arachnoids and the pia mater. Okay? Between the arachnoid and pia mater. So, what we have is the dura mater, right? With two layers. One here, close to the bone. Let's say uh, this is the bone. Okay, we have a bone here, right? And this layer of dura mater is known as a periosteal layer of dura, right? Then we're gonna have the meningeal layer
I mean, I'm, I'm making virtual spaces, but it's not like this, guys, okay? It's very stiff. And here we have the arachnoids. Here we have the arachnoids, over here. This is the arachnoids. I mean, I wish is the arachnoid. Let me do this. Arachnoid. Arachnoid. And this space over here is the subdural space. Subdural space. This space over here between the, oh my god. Let's say between the periosteal layer and the and the, the bone is known as a huh? epidural. Okay. Then this is Mr. Brain over here, and we know that the pia mater is thick. On the brain is very thin. Okay, very, very thin, and go all over, following the GRI and the sulci of the brain. Okay, so in between these two, we have the arachnoid space. Okay, arachnoids. This is the, a good exercise, you yourself drawing this to understand. Okay. So remember, continue passing through the foramen magnum and continuing, continuing the, the spinal cord as well, protecting the spinal cord, dura, arachnoids, and pia mater. Okay? Here we have, for example, the dura mater. This is the periosteal layer over here. Okay? And here we have the meningeal layer. Stick to the arachnoid mater, that is this one. And the pia mater goes on just on the brain surface, directly on the brain surface. Okay? What is this about? What is this, guys? Who tell me? Frontal, paranasal, sinus. Beautiful. Aha. Uh -huh. This is a superior sinus over here. Uh, sagittal sinus following the, the sagittal plan of the head. This is uh, arachnoid granulations over here. The role of arachnoid granulation is complicated because, you know, every, every day people, you know, talk about things and uh, in, in the conference that you can see it and all of this, you're going to say, oh my God, now the arachnoid granulation cannot filter or absorb the extra amount of cerebrospinal fluid. How come? I mean, it's not like that. Don't do that. Arachnoid granulation. But they are talking about other roles of arachnoid granulation at this point. Anyways, we have here, okay. Part of the same, the periosteal, the meningeal layer, uh, the uh, 
subdural space, epidural space. Here we have the um, arachnoid and the uh, subarachnoid space and the pia mater stake on the. What are the, you know, compartments dura mater is making all over the brain? We have partitions of the dura mater, okay? Stuff separate compartments inside the cranial vault. And when you go to uh, the morgue next semester, you're gonna see when they open the cranium, how, how you're gonna see the fax cerebri, how you're gonna appreciate the fax uh, cerebelli as well, together with the diaphragm muscle. Do you remember the dura mater sheath? that protects or cover the superior part of the pituitary gland. This is known as a diaphragm, diaphragm celli, okay? You, you cannot miss this because cella turcica, diaphragm celli, they are related, you cannot miss it. This is the thing with anatomy. If you pay attention a little bit, you can make it because everything is interrelated, guys. And you're not gonna have something with another name that is not representative or of the, the topography of the area. Antentorium cerebelli, okay? Tentorium cerebelli separate, for example, the cranial cavity into supratentorial and infratentorial. Infradentoria, we have this in this compartment, we have the brainstem and we have the cerebellum. Make sense? Supradentoria, the rest of the structure. Okay? This is a fax cerebri. This one over here is the fax cerebri. They are separating the two brain hemispheres over here. Okay? This is the fax cerebri over here. And uh, the tentum cerebellum, you cannot see, but sort of over here, right? A little bit. And then the cella turcica, the, the sheath, you don't, you don't see over here. The sinuses all over, the superior cerebral veins, over here, the fax cerebri, fax cerebelli, sorry, is placed over here. Cavernous sinus, this is the surrounding the hypothesis, cavernous sinus. And the arising, the sigmoid sinus, with the arising of the uvular vein, okay? And we have more of the same here, the granulations and everything. Look at this. This is the wound, the calvaria, okay? Then we have the periosteal layer of the dura mater, the meningeal layer, in between the meningeal layer and the arachnoid, we have the subdural 
epidural, remember these spaces are potential spaces. Po a potential space in anatomy means that only when some, some, something feel the area is gonna be noticed with the naked eye. Understand? A potential space, for example, is the plural space. A potential space is, for example, the pericardial space. Because the fluid that is content in between these two layers is the one that is gonna make this separation uh, able to be seen with the naked eye. Okay? Here is the same. So this is the cerebral cortex and the pia mater is hmm. Here we have the fox cerebri separating the two hemispheres. And talking about the, talking about the, the, oh my God, wait, over here. Uh -huh. Talking about the blood supply, we have all these uh, branches of the internal carotid artery. Here we have the maxillary artery and uh, all of these arteries are going to supply the blood for the meninges. Okay. And here we have the veins. Uh, we remove one of the parts of the, the bone in order to visualize the, the veins. At this point, the occipital veins here, the frontal diploid veins here, the coronal suture that was not removed. But remember, dura mater is also covering the sutures. The periosteal layer of dura mater is covering the suture at the inner part of the bone of the cranial vault. Are we good with this? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Okay. It's lining inside the cranial vault, every single place of the cranial vault. Uh, this one is the cavernous sinus. Um, and the sigmoid sinus is the most important for us. I don't want you to go farther than these two sinus, please, because it's too much detail. You don't need this now. Understand what I'm saying? Don't go to the left or to the right. Don't lose your time. Go straight ahead of what you have in this um, uh, learning objective. Plus what I'm going to give you for this next exam. That is going to be on Friday, right? Next Monday? Like the next Monday now? No. Ah, oh, you have time, guys. Okay? You have time. Come on. Yeah. If you go deeper, when, when, when I ask you something, you need to answer me what I'm asking you. When you're practicing your head to toe, go straight ahead with what you have in your rubric and don't lose time. You don't have time to lose. 27 months is nothing. Go straight ahead to things, okay?
clinical importance of this told you guys. Hematoma, right? Epidural hematoma. Tell me, artery or vein? Beautiful. Artery. And yeah, the person is like, uh, I'm, I'm awake and alert, and in, afterward, I go to the floor. Then you need to remove this by surgery. Make a craniotomy and just uh, evacuate the hematoma that is pushing down the brain, okay? Uh, here we have, this is the extra or epidural hematoma. It's the same, please. Extra dura or epidura is the same. It's between, remember, the periosteal layer of the dura mater and the periosteum. Okay? So we have here the, this is, this is a, a subdural hematoma. Subdural hematoma is between what? The meningeal ledger and arachnoid. Okay? Bridging veins. Bridging veins. I don't want to go to imaging. Do not break the magic with your professor of imaging. That is going to give you how we can determine if this hematoma is epidural or the other is subdural hematoma. Because you're going to have this in imaging. So, subarachnoid hemorrhage. This happened the majority of the cases spontaneously because an aneurysm burst. What an aneurysm is, is like a herniation in the wall of an artery. It's a herniation of the wall of the artery. And of course, if you have a herniation over here, what is going to happen? The wall of this herniation is thinner than the rest of the artery. And the tendency is to burst. And here you go, uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage. And other causes, okay? So we say that epidural related to artery, subdural related to vein, okay? Related to the venous sinuses. This, for example, is the cavernous sinus. You see this cavernous sinus? And these two are sphenoidal sinuses. Because if you think about the paranasal sinuses, we have frontal, maxillar, ethmoidal cells, and sphenoidal sinuses. So, this is the pituitary gland, this one internal carotid artery, right? And here we have at the middle cranial fossa, the cavernous sinus. This cavernous sinus is very rich in blood vessel. This uh, cavernous sinus, if we have any very bad infection that goes to the sphenoidal sinuses and uh, produce an osteomyelitis and is able to reach this, so we're going to have a big problem. What are the um, 
structures that pass by. It is important for us to know that uh, talking about anatomical relationship, we have the cella tulsica with the hypothesis, and the hypothesis is surrounding by is surrounded by this cavernous sinus. Remember, the only two sinuses you need to learn. Sigmoid sinus that gives origin to the jugular vein, okay? And this cavernous sinus. Superior orbital fissure and the anterior clinoid process, the internal carotid artery, the pass by of the internal carotid artery. This is the, look at the relationship with the pituitary gland of the hypofacial fossa. We know this hypofacial fossa is what? Cella tulsica, right? In anatomy, this is a, every depression is known as a fossa. Like the cranial fossa, you see we have three, okay? And all of these are depressions. And these depressions, they have fissure, they have canal, they have foramina, okay? All of these are known as uh, anatomical accidents. Foramina permit the pass, again, or transmit nerves, transmit arteries, transmit veins, okay? What else we have here? Okay. A very important thing about the it's, it's very punto, okay, about the cavernous sinus. Occlusion of the cerebral veins and durovenous sinuses. Why, why is that? Because we have an inflammation, right? Uh, we have a tumor. Um, and all of this is going to happen at the level of the um, um, whatever... Um, sinus, uh, venous sinuses in the, uh, in, in the brain, the characteristic of the vein in the brain are different than in the rest of the body. They lack, you know, the tunica media. They are made up of epithelial tissue only, endothelial tissue. So they don't have valves, okay? This is very important. In the head, the veins in the head, they don't have any valves. So if you're upside down for a long time, you're gonna die with a lot of pain because this blood cannot go up. If we have valves, but we don't have valves. Make sense, guys? We, don't ha we have valves in, in the legs, for example, in the arms, but not in the head. Okay, so uh, all the blood from the middle angle of the eye, the nose, and the lips drains inferiorly to the facial vein. And from there, all the steps till the jugular vein. From the jugular vein to the subclavian vein, some more veins that are gonna be uh, uh, draining straight ahead, to the superior vena cava. Make sense? Okay, superior vena cava. Um, they pass to the superior ophthalmic vein and enter the cavernous sinus. So, 
if they have a trump, uh, a person that is having a thrombophlebitis of the fascia vein, pieces of infected thrombus, they can go into the cavernous sinus. And it's going to produce a thrombophlebitis of the cavernous sinus. And this is a very terrible situation for the patient. All the proximities can, you know, produce problem. Divisions of the brain. Brain inside the cranial vault, right? What do we have over there? Uh, the divisions are the cerebrum. What cerebrum is? The surface of the brain, guys. Surface of the brain and where we have gray matter. Professor, but we have gray matter in the basal ganglia. No, now, wait, it's not the scope for us at this point. Yes, is the gray matter, is that the cerebrum was the last part of the brain that developed beautifully in human, okay? This brain is made up of giri and sulcus, giri and sulcus. Sulci, giri, Sulci, girai, sulci, girai. It's an amongus, uh, homongous organ. That's why it's folded, right? To go inside the cranial vault. Inside the cranial vault, we have the brain, the cerebrospinal fluid, and the blood within the blood vessels, within the arteries, and within the veins. And the cranial vault doesn't expand and doesn't move away in order to permit the pressure diminish. Understand? So, what the intracranial pressure we have is constant. If one of these elements that lives together and in peace inside the cranial vault increases, what do you think is going to happen? If you have 10 people in a room that fit, and you add 10 more, what is going to happen inside? It's crowded. And the pressure is higher. The continent is the same, but the content increases. So this happened over here in the cranial vault. A tumor is going to increase the intracranial pressure. Remember, this is clinical anatomy. It's good for us to know this information. So, if we have a tumor, the intracranial pressure increases. If we have a epidural hematoma, the intracranial pressure increases. Why is that? Because we have space for the blood within the blood vessels in the intravascular space, but we don't have space for the blood to go free in the uh, cranial in this space that is so close, that's why the name of vault. So, uh, what else we have? If we have an increasing in production of cerebrospinal fluid, and we are not getting rid of this cerebrospinal fluid, we are not reabsorbing this extra amount of cerebrospinal fluid, what is happening, guys? The intracranial pressure is going to 
increase. It's not good. Remember supratentorial, infratentorial also? We can have herniation. Herniation. Uh, we can have a herniation of a parietal lobe against the fax cerebrae to the other side. Or we can have a herniation of the brain pushing down, or we can have an infratentorial herniation, that is the brainstem and cerebellum, because the pressure is huge, going across the foramen magnum, and this is the end of the story. Okay? So, uh, yes. Frontal lobe, anterior cranial fossa, primary motor area, precentral gyrus, Precentral gyrus is the primary motor area. Postcentral gyrus is the somatic sensory motor area. Oh, somatic sensory area, guys, at the parietal lobes, okay? Then what we do with the frontal lobe? Judgment, math, okay? We send the voluntary movement to the muscles of the body, right? It's a way out, it's an output, it's an efferent way, right? Short-term memory, planning, okay? So we have, uh, let's, let's say, the frontal lobe over here. This is the central sulcus, this is the lateral sulcus. Here we have the parietal lobe, we have two. Frontal lobe, we have two, we have to cerebral hemisphere, the right and the left, in the middle of each cerebral hemisphere and connecting the cerebral hemisphere, we have the corpus callosum, okay? This is the cerebellum. Here we have the hypothalamus, the second region of the brain, is known as a diencephalon. Diencephalon is composed by epithalamus, hypothalamus, and thalamus, okay? And, and then we're going to have the brainstem. Brainstem is composed by midbrain, pons, and medulla oblongata. Midbrain, pons, and medulla oblongata, and medulla oblongata is going to continue into the spinal cord, okay? Remember, the hypothalamus over here has a high, high end, uh, neuroendocrine function. Uh, the pituitary gland is underneath here. Here we have the pineal gland. Pineal gland, the one that is secreting melatonin that keeps you sleeping in good way, sleep awake uh, cycle and all of this. And uh, what else we need to know? Parietal lobe, and that's it. I mean, it's the cerebellum is over here. We have as well, uh, it's separated from the rest of the brain by the um, uh, uh, ten cerebellum is around here by the fox cere cerebelli. And the parietal lobe, guys, is uh, sensory input, remember, sensory input, and plays a good role in vi visual, visual spatial processing, occipital lobe, the primary visual cortex. What is this? 
and I'm going to finish in this, okay? The lateral sulcus that separate parietal from temporal. Temporal is uh, where we're going to, um, you know, um, process the, the smell, the taste, the hearing, sensation. And we're going to finish. Okay. Thank you so much. See you next week. We're going to go over the... Um